Hello again, friends. Welcome back to Word Quota with Beck McNew, where I talk honestly about life in my words and speak life through the word. This is episode three, A Hope is a Trust Your Soul Makes, an interview with Sarupa Kuffman, the next in our series about being brave to live out the life that God has entrusted you with. If you missed the previous episodes, no worries. You can always catch back up on iTunes and look for episode one, Say What You Need to Say, and episode two, Permission to Move. While you're there, you can subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a beat in the future. Y'all, today we are in for a real treat as I interview my friend Sarupa Kuffman. Sarupa is wife to Tim, who I'm sure you'll hear more about shortly, homeschooling mom of three kids, and an all-around fun person. Hi, Sarupa. Hi. Thank I'm, you for having me. I'm so glad that you agreed to do this with me. How are you? I'm good. You're good? I'm good. I'm kid-free at the moment, so it's nice and quiet. And That is always good. I mean, yeah. not that we don't love our children. Children are good, but quiet's good, too. <laughs> All right. So before we get into the interview, I want to share something kind of funny in an ironic way that you already know. So you know that we initially... I had planned on launching my podcast on April 11th, but now I'm moving it up to March 14th, which means that this interview is going to air on April 11th, which is your what? My birthday! Happy birthday to you! Thank you! I mean, not today, but when it actually plays, it will be your birthday, so that's... Well, I'm just appreciative. I mean, you went through all this trouble for my for my birthday so that's kind of exciting it was all you're for you that's what that's why i moved it up just for your birthday <laughs> that's not true i didn't know that till after the fact but that's so much fun that it makes me happy it's like a god hug exactly so i want to share a fun little story um of one of my first memories of you and tim sure. let's do it all right at the time we were attending the same church in middle tennessee And although I had been at that church for about four years, and my husband had been employed there in varying capacities over those years as student intern, interim student pastor, and other student pastor-related things, I had recently entered a new phase of my life. Now, my husband Brett and I married uh, pretty young. I was 19 and he was 22, although I feel the disclaimer that I need to say that I was a senior in college, (laughs) and he was graduated, (laughs) and we'd been together for four years, Um, but... Like, even the young marrieds class kind of seemed out of place, which I think is pretty normal. (laughs) But um, I'd long graduated out of the student ministry, but I didn't quite fit anywhere in a group in the church. And which I think that's just pretty common among college age folks and young adults, isn't it? Like, oh, for sure. For sure. It's a kind of transient group, usually, too. They're um, like you're starting off. If you're in college, you're definitely transient. If you're um, a young adult or single, you know, you're also transient because you're you're kind of starting your life, you know, and so... Yeah, like uh, your identity's wrapped around your school or your career or your significant right. other or lack thereof a significant other. Right, and I think the church has a hard time fitting those people into their mold um, sometimes, so that's why they get a little lost. <laughs> yes, so much so. And then, in my case, technically my husband was employed at the church and I was that person. Kind of like the equivalent of zits and gangly limbs on pre-teenagers, except... the semi-adult version but you're not really adult but it's just awkward it's all sorts of awkwardness anyway um, I'm getting off off the subject so I started attending a young married couple Sunday school class but I always went without my husband because he was always doing church stuff and so it was kind of like being a single person in a married class and then I was the youngest so that sort of felt like I always felt like I was sort of an intrusion or an inconvenience for being there 
I mean, I don't mean that negatively toward the people in the class. It's just like where I was in that aforementioned gangliness. Do you remember if you were in the same class that we were or not? I want to say no. I don't think we were. I don't think we were. I think you were in the one like in the building that wasn't attached or something, weren't you? Yes. Okay. We weren't in the same class, but you guys had invited us over for dinner as a married couple. And this was super (laughs) exciting for me because at that time, my husband and I, we lived in the upstairs of my parents' house, which was unfinished when they bought the house and only semi-finished when we lived up there. (laughs) But yeah, I was really excited to go somewhere (laughs) with people. I remember that. So back to my memory of you. So you invited us over to your house and you made us, do you remember? Uh, chicken parmesan, yes! I think. You made us chicken parmesan, and I got the recipe because I knew how to cook nothing <laughs> at all. <laughs> I And I'm so bad at remembering stuff, so I'm really excited about this detail. So you cooked us chicken parmesan, and I watched my very first Bollywood movie ever. Yes. And possibly my last, is... which is a shame. Oh, you need to give me Bollywood movies to watch. I, I can help you out there, for sure. I, I do remember... That you told me that, like, the actor had six fingers or something, and that was considered good luck in India. Yeah, yeah. Prithik Roshan is the actor. But here's what's fun for me, is that Kanan was actually born with an extra pinky on each hand. Double lucky. Yeah, I know. I I thought of you immediately, and I was like, oh, Sarupa would say that this is lucky. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You didn't even know. You were part of our meeting our son moment. (laughs) But I thought of you in Bollywood. I love it. So the point of that is that my first memories of you are that you were super hospitable and made a point to welcome us in, even though we had technically been part of the church longer than you had. And that made an impact on us. And that's a practice that you guys continue to this day in a pretty special way. So I'm going to turn a little bit more over to you and talk a little bit less. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your journey of where you were before to where you are now. So Tim and I, we got married in 2002. So around the same time you did, uh, around the same time we met. uh, What's your anniversary date? Our anniversary is March 9th. This year we celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary. But to go back in time uh, and, and talk about what you were just talking about, that first year of marriage is when you guys came over to dinner. And we had, this is going to be a little bit embarrassing. I'm just going to tell you. Um, We had a great love for Disney even before we got married. So (laughs) that first year we were, we would um, sit down together and we would talk about how much we love Disney. And we would, we would actually, we wouldn't really talk about it as like together that much. We talked about, you know, taking trips to Disney. Fun. Okay. So Side note about me, I never went to Disney as a kid. I went once when I was in high school for like a band trip in ninth grade, and we barely did the Magic Kingdom. And then I didn't go again until I had kids. Okay, listen, people, that is a travesty, <laughs> and it makes my heart sad. Everybody needs to go to Disney like at least once as a child. I know that that's not, you know, reasonable statement for me to make. <laughs> I just say that I love it so much. So, um, we, we would talk about Disney all the time. And I remember a distinct moment, just so you know, Becca, I went through that same awkward, um, I don't know. I'm not a girlfriend anymore. I'm now a wife. I don't know how to be a wife. Like <laughs> I don't, I don't have any friends in this town. Cause I, Tim grew up in Nashville. So he was born okay. and raised there. So this was kind of his town and I was moving in. So he had friends, but I didn't really have Where friends. Where were you we from? Um, Atlanta. That's right. I knew that. My family was from Atlanta. So 
Um, so anyway, I just remember having like a really awkward time and I'm sure everybody has that stage, but I remember having an awkward time. Like, how do I do this whole wife thing? I'm not used to being accountable to anyone, you know, like I'm used to kind of being a free spirit and doing my own thing. And now I have responsibilities as a wife. And so I struggled in that area too. But the one thing I do remember is we sat down and we were like, Tim and I are big dreamers. We like to, on the regular, sit down and just talk about if we had unlimited funds, what would we do? I need you, right? I need you to rub we... some of that off on me. Cause like this whole <laughs> podcast thing, this is like a huge deal. <laughs> For me, I need. Oh, I'm, see, no, you want to dream big yes. and then scale it down to what like makes sense to do. That's kind of what this series of episodes is about too. So I'm very excited about this. Continue. Oh well, good. I um. So yeah, we are big dreamers. So we said, okay, this is the embarrassing part. There was a six month period after we got married where um, it took me a little while to find a job in Nashville. So I'm you know job hunting, but then had a lot of free time. Also, my apartment at the time was the cleanest place on the planet because I was so bored. I had nothing else to do but clean. I mean, I would have let you clean for me. Well, I probably could have. I I was so bored. I Like I had gotten to the point where which we had a small place, but I had gotten to the point where I was like, there's nothing left to clean. Like, what am I going to do? So I watched a lot of Disney Channel as an adult. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Which is super embarrassing, but this is like back in the day of, this is even Stevens, Phil of the Future, Lizzie McGuire. These are the kind of shows that we're on. And so I, as an adult, I enjoyed those <laughs> um, by myself in my very clean apartment. So that first year we sat down and we were like, okay, we, we, so, okay. So part of our discussion of how to figure out how to do this whole married life thing um, after the fact was we both had different hearts for ministry. We both loved ministry, but we had different hearts for it. Tim had a heart for church kids. Um, that was kind of his comfort zone. That was where he, um, really enjoyed working in church youth groups and things like that. Um, my heart was more for, uh, the churchy word is disenfranchised kids. These are the people that are outside of the church for whatever reason. Those are the kids that I clicked with better and, um, could relate to and could talk to better. Um, but it's much harder for somebody like Tim to go from church work to outside of the church work than it is for somebody like me to go from outside of the church work to church work. So yeah, there, there are things that sometimes it's harder to unlearn things. Yeah. So I started, we, we decided, okay, if we, uh, we, you know, that we would work together in the church and you know, see what God did there. But through our dreaming, we're like, okay, scrap all of that. If we had unlimited funds and unlimited connections, what kind of ministry would we want to do? And Tim growing up, he, there was a sweet couple who were like, the cool house to go to in youth group, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so they would always have all the kids over. And he remembered very distinctly that they had a fridge in the garage and it was always stocked with um, Cokes. And he just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And he was like, I want my house one day to have a fridge in the garage that's just stocked full of drinks that where people could come and hang out and there would always be something there. For I, I appreciated so, those houses. I'm not that house and my house was never that house. But, um, I, I loved going to my friends' houses that were like that. I think that yeah. um, 
I ate some of my friends out of their Lucky Charms. Like every time yeah. I'd go to their, because we didn't usually get sugary cereal. And as a teenager, I would just be excited to go to their house and eat their Lucky Charms. <laughs> so yeah, that was what, that was Tim saying. He was like, I really, uh, that's one of my dreams. And so I thought, well, what is it that we would want to do? And we discovered at that moment, this was around our one year anniversary. We discovered at that moment that we, we both had a secret love of Disney Channel, which is super even more awkward that Tim was also watching Disney I love Channel it. and not because I was just watching it. Um, and so and we had both separately unaware been praying for those kids on Disney Channel. So if you remember back in the day, these are the, the Lindsay Lohans and the Jonas Brothers okay. who... A lot of a lot of them come from like Miley Cyrus. A lot of them come from like a faith background. Their parents were Christians, and there's a faith story in their past. Sure. Um, and then young Hollywood happened, and mm-hmm. um, some of them survived, and some of them went off the deep end. And you know, and I remember Tim and I talking about how we separately were praying for these kids on Disney Channel. We would watch the shows and wow, and then be praying for them. So there was a moment at our one year anniversary where we realized that we were both praying for these kids. And we were like, okay, what if we lived in LA and ours was that house? We had relationship with these kids, move out there to work for Disney Channel shows. And somehow we were connected enough to their parents to be for them to know that our house was a safe place, you know. I love that. And I didn't know this part of the story. So this is new to me. I love that part. This is just us dreaming big. We're like, if we had the connections, we would our house would be the place where these kids could come and we would be able to speak into their lives, not wanting anything from them. Because I think at that age, everybody wants something from you, you know, in that town, probably everybody wants something from you. Especially if you're a celebrity. Exactly. And uh, so somebody who could speak truth into their lives, but we're not your parents, but we're kind of parentish, but we're, you know, we're still at that point, we were super young. And so we're still young and cool, but we can talk to people. And so that's kind of where the whole thing started. And so we'd like, okay, obviously, we can't pack up and move to LA right now. So how can we do start building these kind of things here? And when we bought our first house in Tennessee, we had a, a garage fridge, and we had it packed with Cokes and our house um, over time kind of became the place to hang out. And um, we worked with a lot of different people. We worked with high school, middle school. We worked with singles. We worked with college. Um, but college for us was the age that... The gangly age. For some reason, that college age, once you graduate college, there's a different personality that comes out of you just as you're trying to like prove yourself to the world. So the college age, I feel like, is a great age because you're old enough to think for yourself and... Your faith becomes real for yourself, but you're still under that kind of social structure of college, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, For sure. Um, So our house became the house on Wednesday nights. um, Now, if your listeners are not from Tennessee, you may not know this. We lived in Spring Hill, Tennessee, which was grown up a lot since we've left. But at the time, there really wasn't that much around there. I mean, you know, the closest college was a good 30 minute drive from where we were out in Murfreesboro. There were kids who lived downtown. And they would literally drive to the middle of nowhere, Spring Hill, every Wednesday night to come to our house to just hang out. We didn't have any agenda. There was no Bible study. That wasn't the time for that. We did teach Sunday school. We did do stuff. Um, But that wasn't the the time or space for it. This was literally Wednesday night. You bring your own food. We didn't even, I mean, I tried to have like brownies or something every now and then. And my, it was kind of that thing. If you come into my house, my house may not be clean. So you have to be okay with that. Yes. Um, And Hallelujah. 
if you, I, I have a saying in my house, like if you've been in my house for more than five minutes, you're family. So if you're hungry or thirsty, get it yourself. I'm not, I'm not going to serve you. You are my kind of hostess. Well, I mean, it's just easy. So um, we had kids come in and we would have 40 kids every Wednesday night coming to our little house in Spring Hill. So at the time, it was the most vibrant that either Tim and I had felt in ministry, if that's what you want to call it. So I do call it that for sure. Um, So about 11 years ago, this is all around the same time, we kind of heard God whisper to us. It wasn't a like really loud call. It was more like a whisper um, of Orlando and Disney Tim has always wanted to work for Disney. Uh, His background is radio. He really loves Radio Disney Uh, at the time, I think more so than now. It was very family-friendly radio, and he just really, we, you know, he wanted to work for Disney. But at Disney, it's a seniority-based company, so you have to literally start at the bottom. They like all of their employees to be hourly positions in the parks or resorts and kind of work your way up from there. So we weren't making you know, great money in Tennessee, but we certainly weren't making, you know, $8 an hour um, either. So we told God no for a good five years. We just kept saying, God, you understand that that makes zero sense. Not that we were, you know, making big time money um, doing what we were doing there in Tennessee, but it made zero sense for us to pack up our family of four by then, um, we two of our daughters were had been born. Uh, I think our youngest was two, so we had a two-year-old and a three-year-old. It made zero sense for us to pack up our family and move to Orlando to take an eight-dollar-an-hour job. That just was that's ridiculous. scary. Yeah, it made no sense, and so we kept telling God that makes no sense. Why would we do that? We're not. We're not. You're not serious. Like, there's no way that this is what you you haven't thought this through, God. Which I realize is ridiculous to say to God, but we did. And so we were like, we're not going to do that. But it's not ridiculous to other people, though, especially people who love you, who, you know, you want them to be supportive of you, but they also care about, you know, feeding your family. Right. Exactly. So how did that go over? It was about 50-50. Um, we had about 50% people that were like, oh, yay, you know, this is great. This is This will be perfect for you guys. We are with you. We support you. And we had about 50% of people who were very close to us that said, you're making a huge mistake. You're going to regret this decision. Our response was, it's possible. <laughs> we might totally regret this decision. But God said go, and all we know is we're going to do what he said. So we you know, put God off for a good five years, and then finally we're like, you know what? We really just want to live in obedience to you, and whatever crazy nonsense you tell us to do, we're, we're going to do. We just want to trust you and obey. No matter how ridiculous it sounds, we really, truly believe that you want what's best for us. And so we told God, okay, yes. But we kind of had conditions on it. Um, we kind of were like, well, this is 2011, right? So we were, this, the market, the housing market had tanked. Nothing was selling. And people were losing money in their real estate right and left. And so we were like, God, you can't really expect us to sell the house. Okay, we'll do that. We'll put the house on the market. And of course, it's not going to sell for a while. So then that will keep us here. We're not going to move until we sell our house. That that would be silly. <laughs> so we kind of kept giving God these little conditions. But the more as time went on, and as we read in scripture, God very rarely provides a clear and open path for you to walk down. <laughs> That is the truth. He is a lamp and not a floodlight. Well, and that's it, you know, and, and, but not even that, 
like if you read his the people that he uses in the Bible and the things that he tells people to do, they're kind of ridiculous. Yes, and I so love that you're saying this and keep saying it because you don't even know what I've recorded before this, but I think that when you hear it, you'll be like, no way, because that's exactly what I've been talking about in the last couple of episodes on this uh, podcast, though. So continue. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, completely. I think that if you go back and read, um, you know, read stories from the Bible and the people that he used, he asked pretty crazy things of, the, of them. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, you know, why on earth would God have Abraham take Isaac up a hill to kill him? Knowing he's not going to have him kill him. Yeah. I mean, we kept reading stories after stories because, you know, when people say stuff, it kind of gets in your head a little bit like, are we making a terrible decision? Because this very possibly could be <laughs> a terrible decision. But we knew without any kind of shadow of a doubt that this was what God had told us to do. And uh, let's see, I think in August of 2011, we put the house on the market. And then September, we took a scouting trip to Disney and just said... Um, like in hopes that God would give us a clear idea of, is this really what you're trying to do? Because at this point we had said yes to God, but we were still kind of doubting if this was the right thing to do or not. So it's, it's a hard decision. And I talked about that in the last podcast though, about how not everything that seems like a fork in a road is like one way. If you take it, you're right. And it's going to be easy forever. In fact, it's rarely easy, but the other way is like doomed and God won't use you anymore. Like in your decision. And I think the church has done a really poor job with that, at least in the cultures that I've grown up in, making you feel like if you aren't within God's will, figure out some special puzzle like Indiana yeah. Jones in order to determine God's will. And if you don't take that right path, you're going to get run over by a big giant boulder. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the um We could have stayed in Tennessee. It, we could have been making more money. We could have had the community that we had there and been fine. You know, we would have been fine, but it wouldn't have been right. And right. Uh, I will say this and have said this over, you know, the first several years that we were here when times did get really tough and really People would ask us, you know, how's everything going out there? And we were like, well, it's hard, but it's right. <laughs> right. So I feel like we could have been in Tennessee and it would have been easy, but it would have been wrong. You know what I mean? So yes. anyway, um, so during that scouting trip, I remember very distinctly sitting at one of the outdoor eating places in Hollywood Studios. And we, it was before Fantasmic. And so we were just kind of hanging out. And Tim, you know, the kids were relaxing, I think. And Tim and I were just kind of like resting in the parks, which I know is an uncommon concept for people <laughs> who haven't been to Disney World. But there are times where you can kind of chill back if you do it properly with little kids. You can take those moments to like chill and relax. So we were kind of just like chilling for a little bit. And we looked, I was watching the cast members and I would see them. Uh, for those of you who don't know, cast members are Disney employees. I was watching this cast member who was working at a nearby merchandise stand and I would watch them literally turn it on like a switch they would light up when a guest was in front of them and they would engage and be magical and all those things you expect of disney cast members but as soon as the guest turned their back to them it was like the switch was off and there was like a, a sadness almost in their face and i remember for the first time of our many many trips to disney like noticing the people which i know sounds ridiculous but really noticing the people and it occurred to me at that moment, I thought 
that hour call, this whisper from God, whatever it was, was career-wise for Tim. And we're still, you know, we're still praying for that to happen. But it was at that moment where I realized God has something for us here that is bigger than a job and that is bigger than like he has something going on and he wants us to come be a part of it. So that's awesome. We went back to Tennessee. Uh, Our house sold miraculously in three months. Um, We made a profit on it, which was also crazy ridiculous. All of that happened and we still did not have an interview with Disney. (laughs) There was no jobs coming up. So we moved in with dear, dear, dear friends, the Robins. They so graciously, a family of five, by the way, um, opened up their home to a family of a few more. Yeah, a, a family of four. So there were nine total people living in this house. And this is Spring Hill. So, I mean, you know, they had a beautiful home, but it wasn't a ginormous home. You know what I mean? It wasn't. That, that's a lot of people under one roof. And so for them to open the doors to us was incredible. So we moved in with them. Still no interview with Disney, by the way. We moved in with them indefinitely. They kept saying, it's fine. Relax. You know, this is all going to happen. They believe so strongly in us and what God was doing that they knew it was going to happen. They were amazing to take us in. And so we, we ended up living with them for three months, um, which is a, just amazing that we're still such good friends after that. Yes. But God was in it and he was on it and we love each other. And uh, Moving was- in with people, it's like a marriage of families. Oh, it's, yeah. We've had roommates since then and some of them were great and some of them were really not great. So um, I have a huge respect for them for allowing us to invade their home. They're just, we will forever be part of them and they will forever be part of us and we will forever be grateful for that time. But still very stressful. No interview with Disney, no job on the horizon. But during that three months time, uh, let's see, mid-April, we came. This timeline is crazy when I go back and think about it. So we had packed up everything. Our home was empty. It was sold. All of our things were in storage. We had just the essentials that we needed living with the Robins. And then we get a call for the interview. We drive down to Orlando. On Monday, he had his interview. He got the job. We were looking for places to live. That is a whole other ridiculous story in itself. Um, But by that evening, we found a condo to live in. While we were looking at that place, we got a call from Tim's mom telling us that she had cancer. And so oh. he was on the phone with her while I was talking to the realtor and looking at the apartment and basically signing over our lives that we were doing this. That's hard. Yeah, it was crazy. So we get back in the car that night and I'm like, Tim, what do we do? Like, are we, do we need to stay in Tennessee and be with your mom? And he was like, I don't, I don't think that. I think when God says to go, we go. And he was like, I, I really believe. And, you know, Tim's mom wanted us to go. She didn't want that to stop us from doing what God had told us to do. So she was very, very supportive. But it was that crisis moment where we were like, what? What do we do? <laughs> like, is this your door that you're closing for us? You know? Yeah. It feels like it very easily could have been. I think that we tend to find signs and put words in God's mouth where they aren't there. Like everything must mean something, especially when we're, we really want to do the right thing, but not everything is a yay or a nay on what you're doing. Yeah, it was, it was tough, but we, you know, we knew that God had told us to do this. And so we wanted to obey. He got the job on Monday. We found the apartment that night. We found out about his mom that night. On Tuesday, we drove back to Tennessee, and we just started packing up the moving truck. On Saturday and Sunday, we packed, packed and loaded the truck. Monday, we drove to from Nashville to Atlanta. 
Tuesday we drove from uh, Atlanta to Orlando. Wednesday through Friday we unloaded the truck and then Tim started his job on Saturday. (laughs) What was your goal when you first decided to pursue WDW off the cuff and has that changed? It has changed Um, and in fact WDW off the cuff wasn't a thing until two years ago. So we have been here for six years. Um, Six years ago we knew that God had something for us but we had no clue as to what that was. We were really eager and excited to plug in. There are a couple of local ministries here who's, you know, have a heart for Disney cast members who um, are working you know, to serve that people group. And so we, when we first got here, we were like, okay, God, which of these groups do you want us to plug into? And we were super excited about it. The word I used to describe that time was frustrating. I just felt like God kept frustrating every connection. Like we would meet somebody and we, and we would hear their story and we would oh my goodness, that's exactly where we are. This makes sense. Let's work together. How can we help you do this? You know, And then for whatever reason, it would just not fit. Um, either we couldn't connect with the people. They didn't want our kids to be a part of it, which we were very passionate about um, our kids being a part of what we do. It's not our ministry. You know, it's not Tim, mommy and daddy's ministry. It's, you know, it's all of us as a family doing it. So if they didn't want the kids to be a part of it, we didn't want to be a part of it either. It was their methods of reaching people were vastly different than ours or their their people group within the Disney people group was different. Like some had a heart for families. And, and that's good because you need to reach the people that aren't yet being reached. Exactly. So that makes sense that there are different people there doing different things. Exactly. And I know you're not saying that those are innately wrong and yours is innately right, but it's just the place that God handed you was a different place. Absolutely. There are 75,000 people who work at Walt Disney World. <laughs> so 75,000 people and the area, the property is about the size of San Francisco. So it's a okay. huge group of people. Um, there would never be a way that any one ministry group could reach that whole people. It's not possible. So I'm glad that there are different ministries that are working in different ways. The more we tried to plug in, the more frustrating it got. There was one ministry that we did connect with, and we were under them for a long time before God uh, kind of got it through our thick skull. I don't know if you're catching on through our story. We're not (laughs) quick on the uptake. Like We kind of are slow going when it comes to God, you know, actually obeying. So you can't see me raising my hand, but I'm raising it. really, really high. I mean, you know, for whatever props you want to give us for taking these huge lips of faith, they they took a long time for us to actually jump. So it wasn't until God kind of just shut everything down and said, I have something for you, but you can't be distracted. If you are looking around for different opportunities to plug into, you're going to miss what I have for you. That's a powerful word for a lot of things. Yeah, it it applies. I I don't know why I'm so slow at these lessons, but I really am. (laughs) So we finally said, okay, God, we're going to pull out from everything. We're still, you know, involved in our local church, but everything else we kind of pulled back from and said, God, what is it that you want us to do? There were times where, you know, we literally just had to focus on what he wanted for our family. And so from that came WDW Off the Cuff. Our last name is Cuffman. Off the Cuff has kind of been a tagline for our family. My husband, way back in the day, when we first met, actually was doing a show called Off the Cuff. Creative. Yeah. um, So that's where that came from. And we just threw on WDW since that's kind of our target market or whatever. Um, it's very different than what we thought we would be doing when we first came, but here we are. 
Tell me a little bit about what your ministry looks like now. Like run me through a week or a month or just the things that you do now that you are WDW Off the Cuff. I would say the churches and the other ministries in town are going to attract people who love Jesus or who are at least interested in Jesus. Our model that God has given us is an inverted triangle. We start with this large banner of events, then The next layer is relationship with us, where if you spend any remote amount of time with us, you're going to kind of know where we stand pretty quickly. And then we hopefully will lead to the point, the relationship with Jesus. Uh, So that's kind of our inverted model. And I think that's so good. And we were saying before, both things need to exist. Yes. Because, I mean, I know we say the gospel is offensive and yeah, that's true. But I hate to use cliches, but people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Well, here's what I here's what I say. The gospel is offensive, but the people don't have to be. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? There you go. <laughs> yes. People are just reached in different ways. And what we've learned through our inverted model is that if we draw people in at that level, that top tier where it's a big event, we may never get them to level two where they come into relationship with us. But it, those events do build relationships with other people. So it might not be us that leads them to the point that the events are connecting them with other people who may. So we currently, you asked how, what our schedule kind of looks like. Our big scale, large scale events are photo scavenger hunts that are on property. So we'll have about 200 people come out to those. Uh, So it's a, it's a large scale thing. We don't, we don't get a lot of FaceTime with uh, the people, but they come to the events and then we do, those are every other month. Monthly, we do kind of just a meetup, for lack of a better word. We'll just go to Disney Springs. There's a pizza place there that we really like. And whoever wants to come can come. It's a public event. So whoever wants to come can come and we get to have dinner with them and hang out and talk to them. Usually that's a maximum of like 10 people who come to those at a time, which is great because it's not so big that we can't actually engage and get to know people. So yeah, those happen monthly. The meetups happen monthly. And then we... If there's a need for a Bible study, we will do that as needed. Uh, It's not something on our schedule. We had somebody recently approach us about doing a Financial Peace University class because uh, they need help with their finances. And so that might be something that we do in the future as well. You know what I mean? So just the extra little things will be as needed. Um, Other than that, it's I probably about once a week, maybe at least at the very least twice a month, will randomly be feeding cast members dinner who show up at my door. (laughs) And food ministers to people like nothing else. And then we we do a Thanksgiving dinner that's not open to everyone. It's um, really kind of our core group just to say that we're thankful for the people that are who have invested into our ministry with their presence. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Thanksgiving dinner for them. And then we do a very large Christmas day, uh, usually Christmas Eve celebration. Is that the 24 hour one? It is. It is. So on Christmas Eve, from midnight to midnight, we open our home and uh, we have a giant feast, <laughs> just a noxious amount of feast. So people can come and they can have Christmas in a home, even if it's not their home. Um, are a lot of them working on Christmas? A lot of them do work. So they're they're able to come no matter what their schedule because it's 24 hours. If we had it just in the evening, a lot of the college program uh, interns wouldn't be able to come because they get the, the terrible hours <laughs> that nobody wants. Yeah. You know, we just open our house for 24 hours and we had about 50, 60, I can't even remember, um, this last year who came through and we feed them and we usually pack them to go boxes to take into work. 
um, or, you know, lunches the next day. That's awesome. So all of this, everybody knows that uh, food costs money. <laughs> so are you paying for this out of your pocket or how is this funded um, as you're doing all of these events? The majority of it comes out of our pocket. We do have a handful of people who are so super gracious and have been walking with us through this journey over the course of several years that help us or their supporters, their investors, whatever you want to call them. Um, but they're just people who are dear to us and love what we're doing here and love us and are willing to forego the fact that we're not a nonprofit and they help, you know, some of those needs. We through our monthly supporters we get about half of what we really need a month and the other half comes out of our pocket. So I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but is there a way that people can support you? Like, can we link them to something if they so desire and say, hey, I'm really on board with what they're doing. I'd like to help. Um, even if it's just a one-time gift or is there not a way to do that? Yeah. You can always send us a one-time gift. That's not that's <laughs> always a welcome. Um, you can send us a recurring gift. It's always welcome. I wish that we were fancy enough to have a nonprofit use Venmo a lot um, for electronic transfers or, you know, cash app or whatever for electronic transfers or people send us checks monthly sometimes to direct deposits into accounts or however. I'll make sure that we square away how maybe we could link somebody to something okay. or put it in the show notes. Where can we find you on social media? Okay. So on social media, we do have an Instagram. It's just at WDW off the cuff. Everything is WDW off the cuff. On Instagram, we're there. We have a Twitter handle that's there. I will say our Twitter handle we mainly use for events uh, to communicate with, with the people participating in the event. So there's not a lot of activity on Twitter, but Instagram, we try to use a lot. And the most, we use probably Facebook the most. We have a Facebook page there. Uh, and the reason that is, is because of the capabilities to use events and, you know, Facebook Live and that kind of stuff too. So right now it's just Facebook. We we have email addresses and we have a website. There's nothing built on it. So if any of your <laughs> listeners want to, you know, donate <laughs> a website, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we don't have any of that stuff. We're so we're super not fancy. Um, we laugh about it a lot. A lot of what we do, you know how social media will give you insights on your reach and you know, mm -hmm. so our events have reached up to like 15,000 people hear about our stuff. So our reach is there. But I don't think people really understand how low scale we really are. Like I tell people, <laughs> we're a five member organization and uh, three of our team members are under the age of 10. So <laughs> <laughs> why don't you explain in your words what we did on Valentine's Day and why we did it? Okay. So on Valentine's Day, and this has been, this is our sixth year um, handing out Valentine's in, uh, across property. And we literally go to the dollar store and buy the cheapy, you know, character Valentine's that you fold. Old school. Little, yeah, the little red sticker, you know, heart sticker you put on the outside. And the kids hand sign hundreds of Valentine's to pass out in the parks. And so I don't know that it's like, a, <laughs> I don't know that you could even really say that it's like effective ministry tool to do. Other than it just makes people smile. <laughs> like it's not. It does so much because we got to do that with you this year. And I mean, there were like a handful of people that didn't care or, you know, <laughs> or didn't want it. But out of what did we do, like 800 Valentines, we would turn around and some people would almost be crying. Yep. Because it just legitimately made their day that they got a Valentine. <laughs> well, and here's the deal. We're intentional about it. Just like we told you when you were helping us. We're intentional about it. You come to Disney. Your kid is going to want to meet the characters 
and if it's around Valentine's Day, they might bring a character of Valentine. Like that's not uncommon. So those kind of characters are often loved on, if that makes sense. Yes. But we try to be really intentional about reaching the people who are often overlooked. Um, Disney is a magical, magical place. And the reason it is so magical is because of the people who work there. So we really try to be intentional about, and that magic runs down to like, I don't know if you realize it, but 99% of the time, the bathroom you go into you to use is clean, <laughs> you know? Yes, so, they do such an amazing job. You know what I mean? Like, that's magical. We gave... The streets are clean, it, you know? Yes. And there's that, millions of people who come through the park. And to be able to walk down Main Street and have it be beautiful, you know, it takes people to do that. A big lesson that my kids learned from that is that generosity breeds generosity. Uh, because, you know, we were trying to make things magical for them. Then they would turn around and just they'd just be so appreciative and they'd want to make magic back for us. And it's just like this endless cycle of (laughs) they just loved the joy of serving the people and saw how it just breeds like it just grows. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because they get it. And that that's why it was so important for us to have the kids be a part of what we do here. I'm not it's not enough for me to, you know, get a babysitter so that we can go out and do stuff. Being there to serve was just so freeing. Like, it was more magical to me this time being there to serve than it was to get stuff. Yeah. That sounds churchy, but it's it's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. Part of what we really want from this is to inspire other people to work in their own areas. Like, it doesn't have to be Disney World. It could be Kroger. I'm so glad that you said that. My parents are actually the ones who taught me this. On Christmas, every year, my parents... If you couldn't tell by my name, um, my parents are Indian. I'm, you know, first generation American. So one of my favorite things that my parents did every year at Christmas was he would buy um, very generic, you know, those like generic Christmas gifts that you could give like a a coffee mug with cocoa or something. You know what I mean? Like the generic ones. Yeah. He would buy something or a box of chocolates or something like that. He would buy 10, 15, 20, whatever boxes of candies to hand out at Christmas to all of the Indian stores in Atlanta. We would go to all the Indian stores and my dad would pray for their businesses. And they, all of them would look forward to him coming at Christmas. And they would say, you know, every year that you come, our business grows every year that you come. And there were like a couple of years here and there where they, my parents weren't able to do it. And they would tell us that their business didn't grow that year. (laughs) And they would say, come pray, you know. (laughs) So it's not something that, you know, specific to Disney World. These are things that, you know, like you have places that you know the people who work there and you recognize them. So, you know, just think of them during special occasions and, you know, give them up. And I'm I'm admittedly terrible about just like going to my literal neighbor. (laughs) But I'm like, yes, let's go to Orlando. (laughs) And, And I need to be better about being intentional where God has me at and letting him use me here. He put me here for a reason. And that's kind of part of what I'm doing in this podcast. (laughs) That's kind of my way of doing it. We're so bad about being super passionate about going on our mission trips to somewhere else, which is important, but neglecting the other 50 weeks of the year where we're living. Yeah, And it doesn't have to be a big gesture. That's the other thing too. You know what I mean? Like you're not, you don't have to spend 
hundreds of dollars. You don't have to form a committee. Yeah, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Our our church, actually, I'll tell you this. Our church, uh, we attend uh, LifeBridge Church in Windermere. And our church, we have newer leadership at our church. And so we were talking to one of the leaders at the church just casually one Wednesday night after our church has Awana. So after Awana, we're talking to one of the leaders and just saying, hey, you know, could do you mind just pray for we're handing out valentines to cast members you know wait what and it totally took him off guard and he was like why wait a second we can totally do something with this so that was wednesday night on sunday which was the sunday before valentine's day he had valentines printed up in every bulletin to pass out to everybody and just said from the pulpit you know hey if there's a person would you go to lunch show somebody that you love them. You know what I mean? Like show somebody that you care with this little card. So it's super easy. Like it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a huge gesture and you can totally do it, do it anywhere. And I think, I think something that I love about what you guys do, that's so hard for many of us planner mentality, and you are a planner mentality too, but to get past is things, we like things to be measurable. Yes. And what you're doing is not always measurable. But the effects of it are exponential. <laughs> yeah, it is frustrating. Uh, but I do, I absolutely believe that God is at work here. He has a plan for this place. He has a plan for this 75,000 people. Um, and just the idea that we get to be a part of what he's doing here, because it's going to be a big deal. There will be stories about what God is doing at, at Walt Disney World. I fully believe that. Okay, so... What has been your greatest takeaway so far? I have like a, I don't know if it's a takeaway for me, but a takeaway that I would give from our story to other people would be, um, one, God asks you to do crazy things. And when he asks you, don't waste time. Say yes. You know what I mean? Just do it because it's better and bigger than anything that you could have planned for yourself. So I think that's like a big one for me. And then also... I'm raising my hand again for a completely different reason than I was raising my hand. (laughs) Um, The other thing that I think for me is that this is just personal insight. For me, I never had that awkward, like, middle school, high school. I never went through that stage. I'm not saying I was super cool. I just was super confident in who I was. And so I never really had a lot of insecurities, you know, that normal teenagers have. Share that. I never, I never did. Um, I was just very comfortable in my own skin, probably to a fault, but not like in a proud way. Like I didn't think I was the prettiest thing. I was just really okay with being like, not the most beautiful. (laughs) I don't know. I just was really comfortable in my own skin. It wasn't until I came here that, um, I went through my awkwardness and insecurity. There were, there definitely were, and still are, uh, moments where, as I have grown through ministry here, that I have had to adjust my mentality or to be, I'm trying to word this in a way that's not going to make me sound too terrible. But the truth of it is, there have been times where I have looked at other ministries that are doing similar things to what we're doing and been jealous. And there have been times that I've looked and yeah. like been proud because we're doing it in my mind better you know what I mean Harrison so the a lot of this has been um so what you're saying is you're a normal human being well I'm <laughs> saying that there's been a process that I've gone through to where I have sure. seen myself mature a bit 
um, over time. And so, you know, I, I don't know what the takeaway from that is, but there, there, there was a term that one of our dear friends in ministry, um, had given us and he said it was the death of a dream. And you think that that's a bad thing, but it's the idea of you having an, a dream of what your life, what your marriage, what your finances, what your whatever, your ministry is going to look like and watching that die in order for God yes. to build up what he wants to build up. And, yes. uh, because so, a death has to come before a resurrection. Yeah. I can't remember who said that most recently. It might have been Ann Voskamp. But when she said that this past year, whoever it was, it came at a time that I needed to hear it. And there was so much in me that was dying, but it has to die before it can be resurrected. Yeah. And I will say, I mean, I, you know, we're not on the other side of that. I still have my moments, but um, I can truly say that I really believe that God has his hand on this little ministry that we have. And uh, we pray literally hourly sometimes. I so appreciate you for doing this with me. Before you go, I'm just going to ask you some really meaningless questions. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah. What's the best thing to eat at Disney World? Oh, my. Okay. Food and Wine Festival is my favorite, and I don't drink, so we I call it Food and Food Festival or Food and Water Festival <laughs> um, because I just really love the food. So there, I could name for you several things at Food and Wine that I really love. Casey's Corner has these things called corn puppies, and they're just like little hot dogs, and they're terrible for you and delicious. So good. Um, <laughs> that should be the slogan, terrible <laughs> for you and delicious. It really should be. Um, in... Animal Kingdom, there's a new restaurant called Satuli, and they have really good, that's like healthy, good options there. So, so I guess, I don't know, one unhealthy, one healthy. Does that work? That works. I'm going to ask you another food okay. question. What's the best looking food, like the best designed? Because we went in to give some Valentines to some people in a bakery or something, and stuff was pretty cool in there. The caramel apples are always beautiful i am not a huge personal fan of caramel apples just because caramel is sticky in it like you feel that uh, <laughs> but tim and my kids love them and they're always so fun and decorated so well so caramel apples i would say are the prettiest ones there's probably like real food that's really pretty also but oh wait i thought of one more food is that okay in yes. japan in epcot there is a restaurant um at the top of the pavilion called teppan ito it's a hibachi girl. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but the food, the hibachi stuff was not that great. But we ordered <laughs> um, sushi up there and I got a volcano roll and it was literally delicious. I really like food. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wrap this up and okay. say thank you so much for joining me. It has been so much fun. Yay, me too. It was fun. Yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome. It was great. And we'll link to all the things that we need to link to in the show notes in case people are interested in learning more about WDW Off the Cuff. Don't y'all just love Sarupa's heart? I know I do. Man, it was so meaningful when she said that God said to her, I have something for you, but you can't be distracted. And if you're looking around for different opportunities to plug into, you're going to miss what I have for you. I especially loved that bit about out serving your spouse. What an awesome idea that is. 
Don't discount where God has you right now and continue to allow yourselves to be used by Him where you are and allow Him to take you somewhere else. Thanks for joining us on Word Quoted today. I hope you'll head on over to iTunes and rate and subscribe. That would be super helpful. And I can't wait for you to join me back in a couple weeks. Have a great day.